Butts and Guts, a Cleveland Clinic podcast exploring your digestive and surgical health from end to end. So welcome to another episode of Butts and Guts. I'm your host, Scott Steele, the chairman of colorectal surgery here at the Cleveland Clinic in beautiful Cleveland, Ohio. And we're very pleased to have Dr. Bradley J. Champagne, who is the director of operations for DDSI West Region. He's also the chief of surgery at Cleveland Clinic Fairview Hospital. Brad, welcome to Butts and Guts. Uh, thanks so much, Scott. It's a real pleasure to be on. So we always like to start out with all of our guests with you giving us a little bit of background about yourself, uh, where you're from, where did you train, and how did it come to the point that you're at the Cleveland Clinic? Uh, well, Scott, I grew up in upstate New York, Syracuse, New York. I did the majority of my surgery training around Albany, New York, uh, and then I traveled for uh, down south for fellowship in Atlanta, uh, Georgia Colorectal, and then I came back to Cleveland, worked at Case University Hospital uh, for a little over 10 years. And then about two to three years ago, I came over to the Cleveland Clinic uh, primarily to help build DDSI services uh, in, in our West region uh, for the Cleveland Clinic. Well, we're super glad to have you. And Brad, today we're going to talk about something that is very hard to get specific on because it is so broad, and that's the concept of abdominal pain. So let's start really basic. Uh, how do you think about abdominal pain? And if you will, how do you classify abdominal pain? Uh, it's a really great question. I think uh, just to start simply, we as surgeons and docs, we think algorithmically a lot, breaking things up into two. So right out, I think of chronic, you know, kind of acute. So, you know, chronic being something that a lot of patients and people just overall say that they've had something kind of nagging at them over the course of months or weeks or even years. And then I, I, a second different category is a sudden onset, very intense doesn't come and go and it's just constant and they've never had something like that before. Um, so that's more of the acute side. And so I think when you are able to break those up into those categories, it really helps both from not just a doctor standpoint, but a patient perspective, know, you know, when to seek attention and you know how urgently they need to be seen. So Brad, there's a lot of different ways to do exactly what you're doing to break them up. Let's start off with a couple of quick questions. How common is abdominal pain? Is this something, I mean, when patients come to you and they say, or your family or friends or anybody, they're like, hey, listen, I've been having a little belly pain. Is that common? Is it not uncommon? Yeah, I think it's extremely common. I think we all would probably acknowledge that we've had abdominal pain at some point of our life. So I think everybody at some point, for the most part, has had some kind of abdominal pain in their life, which helps again, you know, beg the question of, you know, why is it happening and what are we doing? You know, what are we putting into our bodies, you know, et cetera, uh, to cause abdominal pain or is it something, you know, is it more of a condition? Is it something genetic? Is it something acquired? Uh, so, but I, I think everybody at some point is, has had abdominal pain. So let's focus first on those patients that are a little bit more in the chronic type setting, or at least not in the acute setting where this is really, really bad. And let's talk about that. How do you go about determining the most common causes? Do you divide it up by the location or the, the, the characteristics of that abdominal pain? How do you work your way through that? Some of the very principles that we learned, you know, in the beginning of med school are very effective in lay conversations, you know, the public and as well, you know, for early on in training of physicians and for patients. And that is the characteristics of the abdominal pain and more specifically, how intense is the pain compared to pains you've had in the abdomen or elsewhere in your body? Does it come and go or is it constant? How long does it last when it comes on? 
like to know what other symptoms are associated with it. Is there some weight loss? Is there any kind of bleeding? Is there fatigue? Is there fevers? And then the other thing is what makes it better? What makes it worse? And how does it relate again to uh, prior episodes, you know, in the past? So I think that overall general five or six questions, you're kind of building a picture of this abdominal pain, and then you can start to narrow down possible causes from that. And then just to follow that up, after after the questioning uh, is around the character of the pain, I think the most important next question is, what are you putting into your body, literally? So what food are you putting into your body and what are you drinking, you know, from that perspective? So are you having too much caffeine? Are you having too many sweets or sugar or artificial foods? So I think when you start asking what you're putting into your body, what's coming out of your body and the sense of frequency of bowel movements, and then the character of the pain, you can glean a lot of information and start to narrow it down. So let's take a stroll around the abdomen. You tell me some of the more common causes of abdominal pain based on the location that patients may have and how you think about them. So I'm a patient, I come and see you, and I got some right upper quadrant abdominal pain. So up underneath that rib cage over on that right side by your liver, how do you approach that? The majority of patients you know, with pain on the right upper side is probably related to the gallbladder. And so in our, you know, medical jargon, biliary colic, what we're trying to rule out in that setting is, is this something that is more of a colicky type pain where it comes and goes, which is very, very common. A lot of times that's very common based on our diet. Um, we, if you're overweight, we're higher risk for that as well. And if it's more acute and intense, it can be a more acute condition of the gallbladder called cholecystitis. So what we're trying to determine with the right, right-sided pain is, is it gallbladder related or not? But that's the most common cause of upper right pain. If it's intense, it's more likely cholecystitis, which is inflammation of the gallbladder. If it's coming and going and more intermittent, then it's much more likely biliary colic. And we might be able to, you know, get by without an emergency room visit or visit to a physician. So how about the patient who presents with right lower pain in that right lower quadrant down by the hip bones or maybe even by the belly button that kind of goes into that section of the abdomen? Most common presentation on the right side would be appendicitis. So, you know, the classic description for appendicitis is that it kind of starts in the center and then migrates to the right side. You know, but a lot of patients may just notice the pain when it becomes more severe and intense and it's just on the right side alone. There's other less common pains on the right side, more related to possible inflammatory bowel disease or Crohn's disease, um, potentially right-sided colon cancer as well, much less commonly right-sided diverticulitis. Um, but for the most part, on the right side, you know, we're basically appendicitis until proven otherwise. And then now migrating over to the left side of the belly, how do you situate that out? What are some of the more common things? So if we're still staying up on the abdominal side, we're looking more uh, in a diagnosis of a diverticulitis. So the most common left-sided and left lower quadrant pain would be in somebody that's, you know, over the age of 40 would probably be diverticulitis. And typically that would be related to a fever, sometimes a change in bowel habits as well. And that's more typically a pain that comes on because of the inflammation and, and is relatively constant. You know, it depends also if it's a male or, or a female. You know, so from in female, the pathology and the differential is a little more uh, deep in, the, in that you have to include and think about ovarian uh, issues such as ovarian cyst rupture 
uh, endometriosis, et cetera. So I think the questioning on the lower, both the left and right lower, is trying to distinguish true left and right lower from more centralized and, and pelvic type pain or pressure. Brad, there's a lot of patients out there that may present with abdominal pain and associated back pain. Either it goes to the back, through to the back, around to the back, or it starts in the back and goes into the belly or goes into the groin. How does that come into play and how does that kind of change the way you think about the potential sources? So I think the way to think about it from a patient perspective is if the pain is radiating to the back, there's an increased chance or increased risk that one of the organs in kind of this retroperitoneum or that more lay towards the back of the abdomen on the posterior side are, are inflamed or contributing to this pain. You can have centralized pain from the, the aforementioned diagnosis referred to the back. Um, however, when they start talking about back pain, we start to think about those different organs. So the pancreas is uh, more commonly something that when it's inflamed, because it lies on the backside of our abdomen, that can cause pain uh, more in the back. The kidneys sit in that retroperitoneal space. So renal colic or kidney stones uh, can also cause you know, back pain. The, again, the diverticulitis, depending on the true location, can cause inflammation, not just in an anterior or forward position, but towards the back as well. Or it could be a less common presentation of appendicitis where it's lingering out in, in that back space, that retroperitoneal space as well. But you start to add things to your differential like pancreas uh, and kidney um, when, the, when the back is involved. So, Brad, I know that a lot of the listeners out there may recognize that you're a surgeon and you see a lot of different abdominal pain, but is the majority of abdominal pain surgical or is it medical? The overwhelming majority of abdominal pain is medical. Uh, Your question up front was spot on. Uh, We're just saying how often do people have abdominal pain and or who gets abdominal pain? When we think about everybody having abdominal pain, uh, the majority of people haven't had, you know, major or even minor abdominal surgery related to their pain. So I think that goes back to, you know, those really important questions of what are we, what are we eating, you know, specifically and what are our sensitivities potentially, you know, to food is this irritable bowel type symptoms. So all the medical causes of abdominal pain uh, falling under gastroenterology, you know, primarily IBS, constipation, you know, reflux, So I think the majority would fall into that category. And obviously, Brad, I give you a very difficult and very broad topic to talk about today. And we could talk about peptic ulcer disease and all sorts of different things, constipation. But so what are the tools that you've used in the past to say, hey, what what is surgical? What is medical? Is it just constipation or is there something more that would need an intervention? When someone presents with abdominal pain, so I think the first questions they're asking themselves is the severity and then the chronicity of it. So if it's severe enough to seek treatment or it's just something that they've had for a long enough period of time that it's impacting the quality of their life and they're being seen, that first step again is making sure it's not surgical and to see if it's something more chronic. So we almost rule things out, you know, for for lack of a better expression. And to do that, the first thing is to make sure the vital signs are okay. If the vital signs are okay and it's not something that is constant or they're all the time, but it's still impacting the quality of their life when I ask about their bowel habits. So if they're straining with their bowel habits and they're having trouble um, using the restroom and and it's a chronic problem for them, it might be constipation. And if they're over the age of 40 and 45, we also have to consider that they could have something within their colon, like a colon neoplasm or polyps. So that's a, that's a, 
age of patients that I would order colonoscopy on. If the colonoscopy is negative, then we can much more comfortably say that it's true constipation. It's not related to a neoplasm, and we're going to continue to treat them. If they're younger and they're not at age risk for uh, colorectal cancer, uh, then much more likely to make dietary adjustments and make suggestions around their diet, increasing water, increasing fiber, having more natural food in their diet uh, to try to eliminate constipation in the future. So I know there's a lot of different medications and everything that uh, that patients may be on, and a lot of them have side effects that can induce constipation or diarrhea or anything like that. But are there medications that pop in your mind that right away you're going to ask about as a provider to see, hey, listen, is are you taking a lot of these or a little of these and see if that weighs into your specific causes? Yeah, absolutely. So a pain medication uh, tends to kind of wreak havoc, you know, in gut and GI motility, both on the foregut and the hindgut side. Uh, so from taking non-steroidals, uh, so ibuprofen, you know, for whether you're taking it for abdominal pain or you're taking it for other reasons, there's a tendency for a, uh, a lot of use of aspirin and ibuprofen um, without food or, you know, off-label uh, in, in, in our country for sure. And that can lead to ulceration in the stomach. It can lead to gastritis, uh, peptic ulcer disease, um, and narcotics, as I mentioned are one of the most common causes of uh, constipation you know, in patients. Patients that are on medicines also um, uh, for depression and other psychiatric illness as well also disrupt, commonly disrupt uh, GI motility uh, and can lead to constipation uh, as well. So it's really important to look at those medications just alongside with the food and asking those questions. What's disturbing you know, the GI tract? I think there's a tendency to label uh, diseases quickly. You know, we're physicians, so we have a problem. We want to fix it. That's the mindset of, you know, medical school. Things are changing a little, but from from that perspective, we try to get to an answer quickly, and we want to try to provide a solution. But I think there's room with abdominal pain to really think of root cause analysis, personalized medicine, uh, and try to spend a lot of time with patients uh, talking about medications, diet, and then a third component is stress. While we're talking about these other causes of abdominal pain, stress, and what's happening in their life at that time is is often um, uh, etiology, probably not as a sole factor for abdominal pain, but I think if there's underlying conditions, we certainly see that stress and increased anxiety can make it worse. So when you talked a little bit about the input in terms of diet and medications, you also talked about bowel movements. So how do you talk about bowel movements in terms of things that are a little bit more red flags uh, or things that are a little bit more normal and weigh that in your decision-making in terms of the need for an extensive workup for abdominal pain, or is this something that is just a little bit more routine? Yeah, so I think there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of ideas and myths out there about bowel movements. It's you have to go once a day, you have to go three times a day, et cetera. I think the most important thing to remember is that we're really looking for changes. So I think the the red flags are when you've kind of always been one way and you haven't made a lot of changes in your diet and all of a sudden you're either having readily loose stool or bowel movements or you're not going or there's a change in the caliber of the bowel movements or you're starting to see blood or your bowel movements are associated with crampy abdominal pain. Um, so really changes in the pattern frequency uh, of bowel movements without really changing your diet or with other findings such as blood are, are really the causes for concern. 
So when you have just uh, an approach for the patients that aren't surgical options, we recognize if you got a gallbladder problem, it may need to come out or you may need to change your diet. If you have appendicitis, it may need a surgery. If you have diverticulitis, you may need to have either uh, medical management or surgical management. And I refer the listener to all the different podcasts we've had on each of these individual topics. But Brent, let's focus on the more difficult person. How do you deal with a patient without a set known diagnosis where they just got belly pain and it's affecting the patient's quality of life? And how do you go about managing these patients? So I think patience is really important from a physician standpoint and on the other end as a patient uh, within these workups. And after we've kind of ruled out more of the acute causes uh, from that by questioning and vitals, et cetera, and it's something, though, that the patient is impacting their quality of life and it's affecting them at work, at that first and sometimes second visit is the time when we can't figure it out that we need to start using other modalities or tools, as you had asked about before. And the tools that are most available for that workup would be a CT scan on the abdomen and then upper and lower endoscopy. So if their symptoms are what we're thinking more hindgut related, colonoscopy is essential. If it's more upper pain and they're higher risk, if so if they have risk factors such as smoking, or non-steroidal use, you know, then an upper endoscopy, you know, is essential in those patients. You know, with a negative upper and lower endoscopy in vague sources of abdominal pain or in patients with weight loss, uh, we will get a CT scan uh, to make sure that we're not missing something. So what type of symptoms of abdominal pain to kind of go to that acute abdominal pain, would you say, this is a red flag, you need to go in? When should patients be of concern? Because I know that even the briefest abdominal pain in some patients can be fairly severe. Yeah, so I, the the red flag for a patient, you know, to go seek care, uh, whether it's an emergency room or with their primary physician or with a gastroenterologist or surgeon, are if the pain is persistent and it's not remitting and it's intense. So if the pain, if the level is intense and it's constant and it's different than they've ever had before in their life, um, I would seek attention. If the pain is associated with nausea and vomiting or fevers and chills, uh, that's another reason uh, to seek immediate attention. Well, Brad, we sure appreciate you coming on. I know this is a very difficult topic with a lot of broadness to it, but we appreciate your walk through the patient with abdominal pain. So we'd like to end up with some couple of quick hitters to get to know you a little bit better. So what's your favorite meal? If I had one meal, I'd probably have a lobster roll. And what is your favorite sport? Oh, favorite sport to play is baseball and to watch is basketball syracuse basketball the last <laughs> non-medical book that you've read <laughs> non-medical i'm challenged on that i would probably uh talent is never enough by john maxwell and then finally uh being a longtime clevelander although not from here what is one thing that you like about cleveland so what i love about cleveland is i love that it has an identity um, i love that a lot of people that are here have grown up here and have raised their families here, and that their kids have gone away and, and come back uh, through generations. And so there's really a, a true Cleveland population. Fantastic stuff. So for more information about Cleveland Clinic's Digestive Disease and Surgery Institute to include material on abdominal pain, please visit clevelandclinic.org digestive. That's clevelandclinic.org digestive. And to make an appointment with a Cleveland Clinic digestive specialist, please call 216-444-7000. That's 
7,000. Brad, thanks so much for joining us on Butts and Guts. Thanks so much for having me on. That wraps things up here at Cleveland Clinic. Until next time, thanks for listening to Butts and Guts.